reminder. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, I've been here. This is I'm starting my 14th year, y'all. So I've been like graduated, 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 and now I am a junior. Um, again, so anyway, so it feels good to start a new year. I know it's like. There's a lot of energy. You don't really have that many assignments yet, or maybe you do, I don't know. Um, who's feeling burdened already? Okay, Sean, yeah, there's three or four of you. Thermodynamics, anyone? Oh, yes. We'll pray for you, Robert. Um, <laughs> um, this semester, we're, we're, we're gonna look at, so what we do at RUF is we sing, we worship the Lord, we eat, we fellowship. Uh, we want this to be a place like a family, like come and eat, and even if like, you're crazy busy. Man, I can't stay for everything. That's okay. Just come and like, and, and eat with us and like get to know people. You know, it's hard to get to know people on a, a big campus like Maryland. I think there's 38 to 40,000 people here. So we try to like make it a little bit smaller and create some community. That's why we do a lot of social things. We'll be doing this tailgate tomorrow night up, up on lot one, around 5.30, come up there. But we, we try to do fellowship because God's people, if you look in the Old Testament, they're always partying. They're always, like, feasting. There's festival after festival. So, like, we try to, like, model that in what we do at RUF. So we eat a lot. Um, uh, the other thing is um, we, we love the Bible. So we love Jesus. We love the Bible. We love the campus. Um, and so each week, like, I get up here and speak or maybe, one, maybe a student will get up here and speak. But every week we try to get into the Word of God because we believe that God has not left us in the dark. He's actually spoken into His world. And all the way back from Genesis onward, He's sent prophets, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, David, all the way on until the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we believe that this Word is His Word and uh, it fits with the reality of this world. And that um, if it's true, you should be able to kind of pick it apart, question it, think about it. And it should, if it's a true worldview, it should match with the reality of life. And we believe that about the Bible. And so if you've never read the Bible, um, we're so glad you're here. And we'd love for you to like, just like be here and listen. Um, never feel like, oh, I've got to sing or whatever. If you don't, if you don't want to, don't feel like we're trying to manipulate you in any way. We just want you to be here, learn, and uh, see if God works in your life. Um, this semester, we're going to be uh, doing parables, and I'm calling it the upside-down kingdom. And Drew Dempsey, old intern, he like made this cool graphic. Isn't that cool? Let's give it up for Drew Dempsey. Um, yeah, so we're going to be talking about the upside-down kingdom and the parables of Jesus. And so... Uh, let me pray real quick, and then we'll dive into what we're going to do tonight. Lord, thanks so much for uh, your love for us. Thank you for this place. Thank you for all the people that are here tonight. I pray that you would bless them as they kick off their semester. Be with us. Give us your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, we're going to look at Matthew 13, 44 to 46 tonight. But before we do that, I was reading on the internet about this guy by the name of Fen Forrest. Has anybody ever heard that name? Ben Forrest, old guy, he's in his 80s, and he's a high-money antiquity dealer. And in 2010, he had an idea. He put together a treasure, a treasure chest 10 inches by 10 inches by 5 inches high, and inside it, he filled it with gold nuggets, 
antique gold coins, medallions, gold carvings, rubies, and other precious stones, and he hid it somewhere in the Rocky Mountains in an unknown location that only he knows. And it's worth over $2 million. He then wrote a seven stanza riddle, and he put it out on the internet to encourage treasure hunters to find this jackpot. Why? He said <laughs> he wanted to get the next generation off their couch and away from their screens. He wanted to get people out in the wilderness to like get out there and experience uh, the beauty of, of creation. And so it's been close to 10 years, and guess what? Treasure's still out there, still hidden. It's believed that over 80,000 people have went on this search to find buried treasure. Two people have died in the process. One man died in 2017. He was actually a minister. Because <laughs> we don't get paid much, man. We're looking <laughs> <laughs> And so he, he was from New Mexico. He, he died out near Santa Fe. And uh, so they don't know where it is. It's somewhere in the Rockies, like stretching from probably all the way up into uh, Wyoming. Uh, so from like down in New Mexico all the way up. It's out there, okay? Um, and so there's a treasure hidden out there in the mountains. It's an amazing thing. I should post the little interview I saw with him. Um, and so the, the parable tonight is about treasure that's hidden um, in Matthew 13, 44 to 46. And it's just three, three verses long. And there's, they're kind of two parallel uh, uh, parables. And so let me just read it. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has, and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, who on finding one pearl of great value, the other translation is the pearl of great price, he went and he sold all he had and bought it. So we're talking about these two, tre a treasure and a pearl. And uh, let me just give you a little bit of background. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus starts speaking in parables. And he basically gives eight little parable vignettes about the kingdom of heaven, or in Luke, the kingdom of God. And, and he talks about like what, what the kingdom of God is like, how it grows, uh, how we enter into it, how the kingdom of God, whether you believe it or disbelieve it, divides people. There's some that are in, there's some that, that get it, and there's some that are out. And Jesus is revealing these mysteries of his kingdom in this part of Matthew. Um, parables are not allegories. They're not straight allegories, but they're more like analogies, stories which call us to respond. They tend to have one main idea. And you're familiar with a lot of them. We're going to look at this semester, like the Good Samaritan and uh, the Prodigal Son and so forth. Um, and Jesus was a storyteller. And uh, who likes a good movie? Probably all of you, okay? And, uh, you know, movies are great because they, like, suck us in, right? They suck us in to the characters and, like, we kind of get lost in the story. And, uh, you know, we, we experience what they experience. And to some extent, you know, when Jesus was telling the parables, that's what he was attempting to do. He wanted 
to bring people in. And parables have an amazing effect because they, they instead of like propositional truth where like A plus B equals C or whatever, he's, he's, he's basically ministering and getting us true through our emotions, kind of through the back door. And so parables have a power to them. Often in a parable, there'll be a punchline or uh, there'll be some, a surprise in the parable. We'll see some of those this semester. This parable is more of an analogy, these two, and it's kind of straightforward. But the other thing that we think about here is uh, um, this idea. Uh, also, I wanted, to, I wanted to mention, too, I forgot, Stranger Things. So, the, so the, this idea, who's seen Stranger Things? Okay. Um, so I wanted, we're talking about the kingdom of God. And uh, I'm trying to make this analogy with Stranger Things. I've talked with a couple of you about it. But... Um, I think everybody here has probably watched watched it. I, I think season one is the best. So if you haven't watched it, just watch season one. It's the best one. Um, agree? <laughs> um, but it's a great it's a great little story of friendship. They're fighting evil. There's all these friends. They're trying to find Will Myers from the clutches of the the Demogorgon. Um, and then they have this eleven character who shows up with like supernatural powers and uh, she can fight against them, the, this thing. And uh, it's basically good versus evil. And they talk about the upside down. And the lights flicker, you know, and the upside down is, is coming and it kind of warns you that something weird is going on. Um, and so I want to turn this around because that's kind of a kingdom of darkness and a kingdom of light. And I want to say that what we have in the scriptures is more, guess what? We are in, actually, the upside down right now. We're in the darkness because ever since the fall, ever since sin entered into that, our world, the kingdom has been shattered. And it's not the way it's supposed to be. There's death. There's disease. There's suffering. There's failing exams. There's uh, laziness, right? <laughs> there's, uh, there's cancer. Um, there's devastation, right? There's pollution. There's environmental decay. There's social injustice. There's all kinds of problems. There's racism in our world. And to some extent, it's because sin has entered in and the curse has entered in, into this world. And people are evil. People have a sin nature. And so to some extent, that's the world we live in. And the beauty of the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is talking about, I want to show you what the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is coming upon us. And ultimately, it's coming upon, a, upon us in the person of Jesus Christ, the King. And we're going to get into that in a second. So that's why I'm saying, like, we're in the upside down, but, like, God's kingdom is coming uh, upon us. And it comes upon us in Jesus Christ. And so the main idea tonight in this little parable is the, the kingdom of God is the best treasure you could ever have. The kingdom of God is the best treasure you could ever have. And so three things. We're going to see what, what's, what it is, what it takes to gain it, and what it brings. And so the first thing is, what's the kingdom of heaven like? Or whose is it? And so in the passage, we, we have a treasure hidden in a field. Or like fine pearls, the, the one pearl of great price. And so this, what Jesus is saying here is that this kingdom of heaven is something of infinite value. Infinite worth. And it's, it's like... A buried treasure in a field. It's like that guy with the $2 million treasure chest that's out there in the Rockies somewhere. And when you find it, when you find it, the man sells everything just to possess that. He gives up 
everything else in his life. He, he stops going to the University of Maryland. He like quits his major and he goes after that treasure. He goes to the Rockies just to find that treasure. I'm not saying you should do that. <laughs> but it's like finding the Hope Diamond or something. Or it's like skirmishing around in your grandmother's attic and finding like this Mickey Mantle rookie baseball card, which is one of the great for baseball fans out here. Um, actually, there was a card like that found in Ohio, um, and it's worth several million dollars. Anyway, um, so as we think of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, what Jesus is saying is um, it's, it's of ultimate value. Why? Because it's the kingdom of God. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the one of infinite value who has come. And he is the king of this kingdom. And so the Bible speaks a lot of king, about kings and kingdoms. You know, you read through the Psalms, it's always talking about kings and kingdoms. Um, but uh, we know in the Old Testament there was all these kings of Israel, Saul and David and Solomon. And one thing we see with all these kings is they're all flawed. They're all sinners. They're all broken. And most of them, like, are horrible kings. Um, and what the Old Testament is ultimately pointing out is there's going to be a true king that's going to come. A true king who is actually of God, the son of God, who is going to come. In fact, in Psalm 2, verse 6, the psalmist writes this. God says, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill, and I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Later he says, blessed are all who take refuge in him, the son. So even in, in Psalm 2, there's a reference there that there's going to be an ultimate king who is a son who's going to come. And so um, when we see this treasure, the kingdom of God, what's it all about? Well, it's ultimately about Jesus. Jesus is the center of the kingdom of God. And when Jesus comes on the scene, his kingdom shows up. And so the kingdom of darkness scatters. Jesus is doing miracles. Jesus is healing the sick. Uh, Jesus is raising the dead. Jesus is speaking with authority and truth. Jesus is casting out demons. Why? Because he is the king and darkness scatters when he comes. It's like his kingdom comes down. In fact, Jesus said at one point um, that the kingdom of God is among you. What he was saying was, I am the king and I am among you. The kingdom of God is here. And so in the Bible, we have this idea of the kingdom is here in Jesus, but the kingdom is also coming ultimately and fully when Jesus comes again. We're like in this in-between. The kingdom has come. This is like the, the, the uh, already, theologians call it, and then the kingdom is coming, the not yet. And so when Jesus comes, he's saying the king is here, and that's why he does all these miracles, because he's showing that he has authority over everything. And so ultimately... In, in the New Testament, what we see is Jesus is the ultimate treasure. In Colossians 1, there's this great passage where talk, it talks about how Jesus is preeminent, like he's the ultimate God. And I just wanted to read you a little bit, but in, in, uh, it says this, By him all things were created, and, and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So Jesus, like Paul is saying in Colossians, that Jesus is the preeminent one 
who is God himself who's come, and he is, is the one who is to be praised and worshipped. In, in Colossians 2, 3, it says, In Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so here, here's what we have. We have the kingdom coming in. It's in the person of Jesus. He's the center of the kingdom. And so the question is, do you know this king? Do you know this king, Jesus? Have you spent time, maybe you're new to the Christian faith, maybe you didn't grow up in it or whatever. Um, we're glad you're here. We want you to investigate, like consider this. You're in college. You know, like you go to calculus, you go to, to like, you know, com communication class, speech class. Well, you should go to Jesus class and learn about Jesus. That's why we're here. I mean, like, seriously, like, we want doubters. We want skeptics. We want people that, like, are, like, questioning and honest about that. Because we, we, I have to have a lot of skepticism, a lot of doubts myself. Okay, so come and, come and like, let's ask questions together. Um, and so... Now's the time, like you're in college, this is a great time to like consider what you believe. Maybe like you were in a church as a little kid, but you've kind of left it. You don't really know what you believe, or maybe you've really never seriously looked at the Bible. Like, let's do it together. Like that's why we do all these small groups. Let's consider those things. And I think what you'll find, millions of people have found that like, oh, it's true to like life. It's true to the reality. It's it makes sense. There's like some unity and some authority like I sense when I read it. So, um, but if you never read it, like, you'll never know. So I want to invite you in to read it. Uh, take that chance. Um, second thing is what it, what, what it takes to gain the kingdom. What does it take to gain the kingdom? What's it take, what's it take to, to get that treasure or that pearl of great price? And the verse here speaks of desire. And it speaks of a pursuit. And it speaks of going to great lengths. Um, there's a great search. When the man found the treasure, okay, in the field, he buried it and then sold everything he had, and he bought the field. In a second, we have the merchant on a search to find the one great pearl. And he also sells all he has and buys it. So there's ultimately sacrifice and a change in order to change your focus and go towards the treasure, um, they're kind of leaving their old life behind, and now they're going. They see this, like they hear about this treasure, and they, and they see it. And they 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 leave everything. They sacrifice everything to find that treasure. And so that is a picture of faith. That's really what faith looks like. It's it's uh, it's this idea that you are turning from your old life and you are pursuing the ultimate treasure, which is Jesus, His King. Um, now, it's not by works. Like this whole thing, like of selling and doing all, all these things, you might think, well, this is, this is uh, again, parables, you can't like nitpick them that much because then you get all kinds of crazy interpretations. Um, and so they're basically, it's an analogy thinking about a big idea. So it's not by works. Jesus is spelling out here what faith looks like. It looks like focus and pursuit on God's kingdom, and the center of that is Jesus. It's not concerned with yourself, but finding this ultimate treasure. And so it's a picture of faith. It's a picture of turning, of repentance, and going towards this ultimate beauty. Um, Jesus said in Matthew 6, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and everything else will be added to you. Um, in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 4, 29, um, God says, But if from, from there, he's talking to Moses, if you seek the Lord with all 
It says, if, if, if you seek the Lord your God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. So seeking after God, what, what, what he's saying is like, you have to like really search. Um, you have to like really want it. Um, and you can't generate that yourself. You need to ask God, God, like, if you're real, <laughs> like, reveal yourself to me. Like, let me, like, show me what I need to do to seek your face. And ultimately what you need to do is, like, spend time in the Word, spend time reading the Bible, and spend time praying and asking Jesus to show up and make this real. Um, and so this is a picture of what faith looks like. And, it, and the thing is, we all live by faith. <laughs> Even if you're an unbeliever, even an atheist or whatever, um, basically you're living by faith. Hear me out. Um, faith has a focus. Um, it's maybe for some people it's like a job. Man, if I could just get that job or a GPA or you're building your resume or climbing the corporate ladder. Like you're going after something. You're like saying that's the pearl of great price. I'm going to give my life to it. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get power, money, sex, whatever it is. Like, you focus on something and that's what you want for your life. To some extent, that's living by faith. You're saying, like, that thing, whatever it is, or those multi multitudes of things are going to give me peace, joy, and hope. And I'm going to go after that. And, you know, but the thing is, if it's not Jesus, who is your creator and Lord, the one who came for you, loves you, knows you deeply then it's going to ultimately destroy you. This is like what the Old Testament's about. That basically our idols, the things we go after, they, and if they're not God, they might feel good for a little bit, but then they kind of destroy us and they put us in bondage to them. I mean, why do people commit suicide when the stock market crashes? This happens every, every year. It's because, like, they're, you know, it's money. Money is controlling them, right? And when it crashes, or... You know, in Japan, a lot of times, like, you'll hear about all these, like, mass suicides of these kids. And they, they, they're committing suicide because they didn't get the grade on that test that basically determines the rest of their life. And because of the shame and everything else, like, they can't handle it. They're, they just, like, give up and they commit suicide. It's awful. Um, but why? Because, like, there's a controlling idea of, like, I have to have a certain score in order to make it in life and be satisfied. That's bondage. What the gospel is giving us is some freedom and life and hope. What Jesus is saying is, like, I made you, I love you, I died for you, and, like, come and feed on me. Like, we have this sign that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, he's made all the goodness in, in, in life. And, he, and so we worship him because he's made all those things for us. But if we don't worship him, it's like, it's like Gollum in the Lord of the Rings, right? He wanted that ring because it was the ring of power, and he gave everything, right? He killed his brother to get that ring, right? That was, that was number two. And then he, and then he ultimately, what, what, does, what the ring does to him is it like, kinda, it kind of makes it look like me a little bit. Like he just like <laughs> destroys him. He like loses all his hair, and he's like skinny, living in caves, saying, my precious, my precious, right? And, and like it destroys him. It totally controls him. And, and, and to some extent, that's what idolatry does to us. That's what our addictions do to us. You know, um, pornography, whatever it is. Like, it grabs us and it says, this is life. But then it really, like, just takes us down and says, like, no, this is not life. This is, like, horrible. Um, and so Jesus is the beautiful treasure that frees us and gives us true life. So um, 
So ultimately, it's by faith. It's by looking to him. And so our hearts are like a compass. Uh, John Calvin said our hearts are like, like idol factories. They're always making these factories. Like even if you're a Christian, you're still going to deal with like, man, going after idols. And you got to continually like repent and say like, God, like let me seek you. Let me repent and seek your face. Um, but he gives you power when you believe in him. And he gives you the Holy Spirit. Augustine said our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And he's talking about the Lord Jesus. And he was a big adulterer. Um, so seek him with all your heart and cry out to him and look to him in faith. That's how you begin to taste the Lord and to seek his kingdom. And what's it bring? This is the last thing. Well, ultimately it brings joy. Um, verse 44, then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Because that treasure was so amazing, so beautiful, he's, he sells everything. It doesn't matter. He's going to give it all because this is better. And that's what the gospel, that's what the kingdom of God, that's what the Lord Jesus is saying. Like, I'm, I'm the treasure. I'm, I'm the worthy one. I'm, I'm the one who um, loves you with an everlasting love. Like, you, like I'm the one who has, has a plan for you, a hope for you, no matter what. I'm going to be with you in, in death and in life. And, and, uh, and so he's the one that, um, that when, we, when we understand who he is, it's, it's joyful. And so our motive is not like, oh, it's work, or like, ah, grudge. It's like, oh, man, the beauty of Jesus is the motivator. The joy of just knowing him, the joy of understanding who he is makes us want to, like, glorify him and live for him and, and follow his kingdom. And so when you get that joy, man, it's like nothing else. It's deep. It's abiding. And joy in the Bible is not just like a fleeting, like, I'm happy, like, woo, like, I passed my test. It's like... It's like a calm, like, I'm okay, you know, like I'm in, even in trials and, and stuff. Like you have that deep abiding joy because God is in your life. And so um, I love the Christmas carol, but like Ebenezer Scrooge, you know, at the end of the Christmas carol, after he sees like goes to Christmas past, present, and future, you know, he he's basically converted overnight. Like I believe, like if you watch the old Ebenezer Scrooge, the black and white one, like he's converted. It's a conversion. He, he comes to know, like, Jesus because the, the guy, like, speaks the gospel to him. And then everything changes. And, like, he wakes up, he's, like, dancing around, and he's giving money to, like, the kids, and he's go buy a turkey and, <laughs> and the whole thing. And so he, it's joy because he's found, he's found Christ. And so that's what the gospel gives, gives us. And let me turn this around just a little bit right here at the end. Uh, the ending is, like, you know who the real treasure hunter is? The real treasure hunter is ultimately Jesus who left heaven and all the joys of heaven and the glory of heaven and he became a man and he put on flesh and he was poor and he was a servant and Hebrew says it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. The joy for Jesus, you know who it was? It was you and me. It was to redeem you and me from slavery, from the upside down kingdom. It was, it was to bring us into the kingdom of light. And so the beauty of Jesus is like, man, he left heaven like to, to rescue us. Like, he, he, like that's why he's so the beautiful treasure because like he actually rescued us. We were buried and dead and he found us and he gives us life. Let me pray. Lord, thanks for tonight. Thank you for this passage. I pray that you would uh, put it deep in our hearts. If there's anything untrue, you would wipe it away.
and God, that you would change us as a result. And uh, bless, bless my friends here. Bless them as they start the semester, and we pray in Christ's name. Amen.